0: Well, Welcome again to H2O. My name is Brian Wiles, one of the pastors here. Jaden, thank you for your honesty. And uh, we are about real life transformation, so that's why we love hearing people's real stories and love celebrating uh, what God is doing in that. And so uh, we want to say a special welcome if you're visiting or checking out H2O for one of the first few times. It's great to have you here with us. And uh, as Hayden said, as we were kind of going into our time of worship, today we are celebrating Palm Sunday Together. And, and Palm Sunday, it, it's kind of this, this holiday, it's kind of this special Sunday that, that Christians around the world, we set apart uh, this day to celebrate and to remember the kingship of Jesus. We, we set aside this Sunday to remember the royalty of Jesus, the fact that Jesus is the rightful king of this world. And, and I don't know about you, but whenever I think about royalty, whenever I think about kings and queens and princes and princesses, uh, a certain picture comes to my mind something that's kind of very spiritual for some of us, a certain picture of Disney World comes to my mind, okay? Uh, Disney World is something that we associate with royalty pretty often, and it's something that a lot of us are really excited about. In fact, is there any, like, big Disney fans here that, you like, you can't miss the movies? Okay. Thank you for being honest enough to admit it. I have to be honest. I used to judge people like you, hardcore, okay? I really did. Um, you know, to me, I'm like, how can an adult, how can a grown person be that into, like, Disney, you know? It's fairy tales. Isn't it kind of silly? So I, I used to be pretty judgmental in that, in that frame of mind. Well, uh, I ended up marrying into a family who uh, my wife's stepdad, my father-in-law, he is one of those people, okay? He loves Disney, all right? And so I was like, this is a little bit weird. I mean, he's this guy I really respect, really look up to, but he loves Disney, and so I'm kind of judging him, right? And, uh, and we get married, and, and one of the first things that I learned after we got married was that we needed to have kids because they wanted to have grandkids. A lot of people hear that, right? Um, but the reason why we needed to have kids so they could have grandkids was so that we could go to Disney, okay? And uh, so from the very beginning, it was like, once you guys have kids and your grandkids, the grandkids hit five years old, we're going to go to Disney, you know? We just can't wait. So I'm like, okay, that's, you know, we just put it on the agenda, put it on the calendar. And, uh, and so we had our first child, we had Allison, and again, you know, a couple weeks after she was born, okay, can't wait to take her to Disney and five five years, you know, and, uh, and, and so we, we kind of started going on with life. We had our second son, Sam, and uh, he was about one, and Allison was about three, and my father-in-law was like, I cannot wait until I turn five, all right? We're going to Disney this summer, and I'm like, okay, that's fine. So we didn't even make it till five years old, and uh, to me, again, I'm like, this seems like, I, I mean, it's kind of cool, but isn't it like a, a lot of money? Isn't it kind of a waste of time to go all the way down to Florida and experience Disney? I was being really judgmental. ...about this experience. And so, you know, I was just, you know, somebody who was going to go along with the show. And so we got this all-expense-paid trip to Disney. And uh, I walked in not expecting much... But man, I'll have to say, I, I, I used to be judgmental towards those type of people, okay? Because when I went to Disney, I was like, this place is truly amazing. I see why they say it's the happiest place on planet Earth, or whatever that catchphrase is, because like when we went there, they just treat you like royalty, you know? And, and as you're walking around, especially if you have little kids, but you don't need little kids to enjoy the experience, because it's like so crazy. We, we went and we stayed in this, uh, this, this one particular hotel, and they had like sand in the bottom of the swimming pool and they made it feel like an ocean and it was just like it blew my mind how cool this place was and as you were walking around you were just kind of like in awe of how cool it was and there was something amazing about Disney. So I stand up here to tell you uh, whatever you think about that place that was more of a confession to let you know that uh, as we think about going into thinking about Jesus as king there's something about all of us that's fascinated with royalty isn't it? I mean, that's why Disney can build this billion dollar uh, industry and company, because there's something inside of humanity that's kind of drawn to that picture of royalty. That's why adults can get so excited about it. I mean, from the time we were kids, there's usually this, this some type of fascination with princes and princesses. I mean, oftentimes, little boys, you know, when we're kids, we love to play king of the mountain, right? Oftentimes, some of us who, who are women in this room, we may not like to admit it, but we like to be treated like princesses maybe you'll come out and say that and 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 the tabloids right they sell all these different you know magazines and things and and the number one person that's on the front of the magazine every time is prince william and and princess kate And, and we're fascinated with this idea of royalty and even if you're like, ah, eh, that's not really me. I'm not really into that type of royalty. You know, many of the movies that we watch, many of the games that we play, many of the stories that we tell our kids, it revolves around a hero. It revolves around a king. It re- revolves around a king who's coming to save his people. You see, there's, there's something inside of us that's drawn to that. There's something deep within us that knows that we were made for royalty and we were actually made to worship one true king as humans that's why we're fascinated with that now the problem is sometimes we kind of misplace that fascination with royalty and sometimes you know it often leads us down paths that that may not actually take us towards God but deep down we're all made to worship one true king and that true king that we're made to worship as we're here to celebrate today on Palm Sunday we're here to to point us to the true king who is Jesus Christ himself See, Jesus is the King of kings that we're all longing for. Jesus is the Lord of lords. And the Bible tells us that someday, actually, every knee will bow and recognize who who Jesus truly is. And as we're celebrating Palm Sunday today, we're starting Holy Week. Maybe you've heard that phrase before. Maybe you haven't. If you've grown up around a church of any type, you might have heard that the week leading up to Easter is Holy Week. And and Holy Week kind of culminates in Easter Sunday, which we're going to celebrate seven days from now. But it's kind of cool to think, as we are here sitting right now, that over the next seven days, there will be billions, with a B, billions of people around the world who say, Yes, I want to worship Jesus as the one true king of my life and of this world. And so it's a big week for Christianity. It's a big week for our church in general. We have our, our two services today here and over on campus. On Friday, it's Good Friday, and we're going to be doing a joint service with two other churches that we have a great partnership and friends a friendship with, uh, Bowling Green Covenant and, and Brookside. We're going to be meeting in the Union Ballroom at 6.30, and we're looking forward to remembering Good Friday together. And then a week from today, we're going to have our Easter Sunday service. And we are really excited about that because Uh, For us as a church, especially on the city side of things, this will be the first time where we're able to celebrate Easter kind of downtown in this building. And we want to encourage you as we are heading into this Holy Week to be thinking about where God might be working and who you might be able to invite to worship Jesus As the King of Kings. You see, the the big idea that we're going to discover together and we're going to unpack together today as we look at the Palm Sunday narrative is what we've already talked about. The big idea for today is this that Jesus is the only rightful King of this world and He alone deserves our worship. Okay, you can pull out your handouts. We have uh, H2O Notes in our app if you want to pull it out on your smartphone. But the big idea that we're going to be talking about is that Jesus is the only rightful King of this world and He alone deserves our worship. Our worship. See, think about this. Before Jesus was even born, there were prophets many thousands of years ago that were prophesying that there would be this one king that comes. The prophet Isaiah uh, is prophesying about Jesus and, and he calls him the Prince of Peace. And if you remember back to Christmas, if you remember the Christmas story, when Jesus was born as a little baby, there were these wise men that came, these magi that came, and they gave Jesus three gifts. One of the gifts that they gave Jesus was gold, and that gold that they gave Jesus signified that he was royalty, That he was king. And in the book of Revelation, which tells us about the final days. Not the days that we're sitting in now, but the days that will come in the future. Jesus is called the king of kings and the lord of lords. You see, throughout the Bible thousands of years ago, Jesus was prophesied to be the king. As he came to this earth and lived on the earth, people called him the king. Wise men brought him gold to signify his royalty. And in the end times, we will recognize Jesus as king. So in the past, in the present, and in the future, Jesus is constantly proclaimed as the rightful king of this world. And Palm Sunday is a recognition of that. And so I want to give you just a little bit of context before we walk into uh, the passage that we're going to look at in Palm Sunday. Because if you remember, Palm Sunday is about when Jesus enters into the city of Jerusalem. It's about a week before he ends up being murdered and tortured on the cross. But this amazing thing happens on Palm Sunday that we're going to talk about today. But we need to have some context to know what was going on in that very moment that happened. Uh, Because anytime you read the Bible, you have to know what was going on before it and what was going on after it to get the full picture of what God God's trying to communicate to us. And so before we jump into the Palm Sunday narrative, we have to know that right before Palm Sunday happened, Jesus was building his ministry. Right, And and, and he had done about three years of ministry, and, and people were starting to take note of who he was. Jesus had done a lot of different teachings. He'd said some amazing things. Not only had he said some amazing things, but he performed some amazing miracles. We talked about last week how he walked on water. We talked about how he healed people. And so people are starting to take notice of Jesus, not just for being a great teacher but for being an amazing man who's performing miracles. Well, right before Palm Sunday, Jesus performs the most amazing miracle that you could ever possibly perform. Jesus, maybe you've heard this story, but he actually raises a man from the dead. Okay? Jesus, there's this man named Lazarus who's really close with Jesus, and Lazarus dies, and and he's in his tomb for four days. And uh, so there's no doubt that he was dead, right? He's in his tomb for four different days, and Jesus shows up onto the scene. He walks to, to meet Lazarus' family as they're, they're, they're distraught. They're so sad that this man had passed away. And as he walks there, uh, he, he starts to walk towards the tomb. And, and the people say, listen, Jesus, don't go into that tomb. There's a body in there, and it's been four days. It's starting to rot. It's starting to smell. It's starting to decay. But Jesus says, no, no, I, I want to go to the tomb. And so Jesus walks to the tomb of this man, Lazarus, and he says these words. He says, Lazarus come out and to like the amazement of the crowd to the amazement of the people that were there Lazarus walks out of the grave So right before Palm Sunday, Jesus actually did this amazing miracle where he raised a man from the dead. So can you picture what was starting to happen, right? I mean, if you saw somebody raise somebody from the dead, somebody you knew for sure beyond a shadow of a doubt was dead, and now they're alive because there was this prophet, this man, who you didn't know all that much about, but he raised him from the dead, you would probably do what? You would be drawn to that guy, right? You would start to take notice of him. You would start to say, I want to figure out what this guy's all about. And so, around Jesus, during this Palm Sunday narrative that we're about to look at, there was this buzz, right? There was this attraction. There was this interest in what he was doing and who Jesus was, and people wanted to be around him as he's walking into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. So that's a context that we're kind of jumping into this passage with. And we're going to look at, Palm Sunday is actually recorded in all four of the Gospels, but we're going to look at the the John passage here to start off. So in John chapter 12, if you have your Bibles, you can open them and you can read along with us. John chapter 12, verse 12, it says this. It says, the next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. People are starting to hear that there's this Jesus guy. And it says that they took palm branches and they went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. And we're going to stop right there. We're going to stop three different times throughout this narrative. And we're going to see what we can take out of it. And, And the first point is this, that Jesus is the one true king. Jesus is the one true king, okay? This is where we get the idea of Palm Sunday, from this passage right here. It's why, uh, you know, the, the many times at church we have palm leaves that, that, we, that we look at, and it's why we showed that video, because as Jesus was walking into Jerusalem, there was this wild enthusiasm that kind of broke out around him. And, and the crowd is in Jerusalem, many of them, because uh, they were Jewish people. And during that time, it was this holiday that was the most holy holiday for many Jews. It was Passover time. And so if you were a good Jew, you would make a pilgrimage to go and be in the city of Jerusalem during this time. So there were hundreds of thousands of people, most likely, in the city of Jerusalem during this time because Passover was going on. And Jesus does this miracle of raising Lazarus from the dead. And these hundreds of thousands of people who are already. There, just trying to be good religious Jews, hear about it, and they start to want to be around him. And so Jesus walks into the city, the holy city of Jerusalem, and it says, People, this enthusiasm starts to break out. People grab these palm branches and they start to wave them and they're starting to celebrate and, and they start shouting, Hosanna. Hosanna means please save us, or would you save us right now? And these palm branches, they were a, a, a symbol of victory. Because in the Old Testament, when when the Jewish people would come back from a a war, a victorious war, they would wave palm branches to celebrate. And so there's this scene that is so exciting. And people are starting to get in their mind who Jesus is for the first time. In his 33 years of life, everybody is starting to recognize Jesus for who he truly is, the rightful king. Not too long ago, uh, my wife and I, we were at this big conference and uh, we were, we were kind of apart from each other for a couple different days. I had to go and get to the conference a few days early. And uh, so we hadn't seen each other for a few days. And it was at the end of uh, this, this session the, on the first night. My wife had shown up. I knew she was there, but I hadn't seen her for a while. So there was a bunch of people in this, this room. And, uh, and, and I was excited to see my wife. And so I, I saw her from across the room. And so I started making my way through the crowd. I, I started making my way to kind of go over and say hi to her. I hadn't seen her for a couple days I walk up to her, I finally found her, I put my arm around her and and, and I reach in to kind of give her a big squeeze and, and a kiss on the cheek and I realize the arm around this woman is actually not my wife, you know, it's actually somebody else and so it's actually my wife's, one of my wife's best friends who looks a lot like her from, you know, a different vantage point but as I'm about to kiss this woman, I realize it's not my wife, you know, luckily I stopped right before. I was about to kiss her, all right? And it was kind of this awkward moment. Luckily, I actually knew her pretty well, so we were able to laugh about it, you know? Um, and, and, and as I think about that, that story, it reminded me that having an accurate view of who someone is is a pretty important detail, right? Having an accurate view of who someone is is extremely important, right? Because the way that we interact with somebody depends on who they are, And what type of relationship we have with them, doesn't it? You know, you interact way differently with your wife than your wife's friend. You know, those are two completely different spectrums. You know, you interact and respond way differently to your mom than you do your professor. You interact way differently with your dad than you do your boss. I mean, the way that you respond to people depends on your relationship with them. And it depends on who they are. And here we see Jesus entering into this holy city, the most holy city of Jerusalem, and people are starting to actually understand who he is for the first time. And it was like this watershed moment. And it was right for the people to bow down. And it was right for the people to worship him. Because, again, Jesus is the one true king. See, much of Jesus' ministry, people were so kind of confused about who he was. and, And they were asking all these different types of questions. And they kept getting it wrong. But here, maybe at one of the only places in scripture, we see much of the crowd getting it right. And their response to him was what it should have been. They bowed down and they worshiped him. And you see, even as we sit here today, we're not all that different from that crowd. You see, in that crowd, there were probably all different types of people. Some of the people knew exactly who Jesus was, but as well, some of the people were probably questioning, okay, wait a minute, is this guy for real? Wait a minute, you know, is he just a man who is kind of just enjoying this attention? Or or is he just somebody who taught us some good lessons? And I think that as we sit here today, some of us, we're still confused about who Jesus is, aren't we? And I want to say, that's awesome. If you're here and you're kind of searching and you're trying to figure out who Jesus is, that is amazing. And we're so glad that you're here. And we want to point you to the fact that Jesus is the one and only true king. That's why we do what we do. That's why we worship him. Because we believe that Jesus is God. See, some of us may say, well, well is he really God or is he, was he just like a good teacher? Who said some cool things, who gave some good advice. who who talked about, you know, loving people and being peaceful, but does he really deserve my worship? Does he really deserve my life? We would say, yes, he does. Others of us would say, I'm not even sure if he was that good of a person. I'm not even sure if he actually walked on this earth or actually lived. Maybe he was just like any other human. But we would say, no, he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That's what we celebrate today let's jump back into the text. John chapter 12, verse 14. It says, Jesus found a young donkey and he sat on it. As it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming seated on a donkey's colt. At first his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things that had been written about him and that these things that had been done to him Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word, and many people, because they had heard that he had performed signs, went out to meet him. See, the second thing we can learn from this passage is that Jesus is a humble king. Jesus isn't only king, but Jesus is a humble king. You know, it's interesting is we, we, we know some context about what's going on here. The crowd that was gathering, that was getting bigger and bigger and more and more excited, it was a Jewish crowd, again, because they were there for Passover, and they had a certain set of expectations in their mind as to what the Messiah would look like, as to what this coming king would do when he showed up. On this earth. See, they'd heard lots of prophecies about this coming king, and so they had their minds made up that when this king came, when this Jewish king came, he would be like this earthly political leader who would set them free from this Roman oppression they were under. During that time, if you know some of the history uh, that was going on, the Roman Empire was spreading, and so the Jews in their holy city of Jerusalem were under Roman occupation, And so they were kind of free, but kind of not free. They could worship kind of how they wanted to, but they couldn't worship completely how they wanted to. And so they were feeling oppressed. And so when they see Jesus walking into this city, they are expecting Jesus to come in and overthrow the Roman government that is there and set them free to do whatever they wanted. See, they were saying, save us, Hosanna, save us, because they were saying, save us from this Roman occupation that we're under because we want to get out from under it. And they had this expectation that this is what Jesus was going to do. That's why the text says the disciples didn't understand why Jesus was walking in on a donkey. Because what they were expecting was that when Jesus came in, he would come in as this great warrior. He would ride in with chariots and horses and armored weapons. But instead, we have this humble king walking into the city of Jerusalem on a little donkey. It says a donkey's colt, a young donkey even. See, Jesus established his kingdom. Jesus established his his royalty in a very different way than the people expected him to. Have you ever seen like a really important event? Maybe it's a, a big royal wedding, you know, that, that took place, you know. Uh, maybe, maybe it's the Oscars, whatever, you know, some big event that people get excited about. People usually show up in extravagant vehicles, don't they? They usually show up dressed up to the max. They show up trying to get the intention on themselves because they want to show that they are powerful. They want to show that they're in charge. And yet, what Jesus does here, it would be like the equivalent of a king pulling up to his palace in like a russet out Ford Taurus, you know? I mean, it would be like, these two things don't exactly go together. We have a king, the king of the universe, walking into the holy city of Jerusalem, and he's doing it in a Taurus, a Ford Taurus. I was expecting something way better than that. See, Jesus was humble. Jesus didn't need a big show. To tell people who he really was. So here you have the prince of peace, the king of kings, God incarnate, walking into town on a donkey. See, a donkey is a sign of peace. A donkey is a sign of peace. And, and Jesus is walking into this city to let us know that he came to make peace between us and God. That's what Jesus is all about. That's what the gospel is all about. See, our king didn't come to punish. Our king didn't come to destroy. Our king came with the weapon of love to extend this offer that he loves us, that he cares for us, that he's humble, and that he wants a relationship with you and with I. But I want you to hear this because this is so important as we understand this on Palm Sunday. Don't mistake Jesus' humility for weakness. Because those are two very different things. Don't mistake his humility for weakness. See, Jesus is the one true king, and he certainly did have the power. He had the right. He had the ability to walk into that city and destroy the Roman Empire. And he certainly could have, but he desired that none of us would turn from him. And so instead, he humbled himself, and he came to earth in the form of a man. And he came here humbly. And the Bible said he did this so that we would know how deeply He loves and he cares for us so that we would know that our king is different, that our king is a king of love, that our king is a king who patiently waits for us. And if you're here today and you've been just kind of on the fence trying to figure out who is this Jesus guy, do I really want to follow him, is he really worth it, I would encourage you and say here today that today might be the day for you to recognize Jesus for who he truly is. Stop waiting to recognize who he is and today proclaim that he is the rightful king of this earth because Palm Sunday is this reality that Jesus has ridden into all of our lives. We say this all the time, but we don't believe that anybody is here on accident. And so we believe today is an actual reality of Jesus kind of riding into our life and he's waiting for us to to come to him and he wants to be our victory and he wants to bring us back to God, but he's not going to force us to. He didn't come, and he didn't ride into our life with force. He rode into our life with humility, and he extends his love and his grace and his peace to us and says, it's here for you to take. That's the type of king that we serve, and that's what we celebrate on Palm Sunday. But then I want to look at this last part of what happens on Palm Sunday. We have to jump over. We read the first part of Palm Sunday in, in John. We have to jump over to Luke to have Luke Tell us what happened as Jesus was entering into the city of Jerusalem. Luke chapter 19, verse 41 through 44. Luke is telling us about Palm Sunday as well. And in verse 41, he says this. He says, as he approached Jerusalem, talking about Jesus. As Jesus approached Jerusalem, he's riding on a donkey. Crowds are waving uh, the, the palm branches. They're crying out to him, Hosanna. As he approached Jerusalem... He saw the city and he wept over it. He said, If you, even you, had known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it's hidden from your eyes, the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground and your children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. See, the third thing we learned from Palm Sunday is that Jesus doesn't want fans, he wants followers. Jesus doesn't want fans, he wants followers. <laughs> the crowdside was increasing, the atmosphere was electric, people were flooding around Jesus. It should have been the highlight of his ministry career. I can tell you as a pastor, I love when people come, you know. I love when a lot of people come to H2O and show up because it's exciting and it feels great. And so Jesus should have been at the top of his ministry career, right? He should have been so happy. He should have been so excited. This massive crowd crying out to him. And yet we're told that Jesus wept. Isn't that a bizarre picture? of his ministry career and he's weeping. You only weep for two reasons. You're either extremely happy or you're broken about something. And we're told Jesus wasn't happy. These aren't tears of joy. Jesus was weeping for the people that were crying out to him. See, he was weeping because even though there were thousands of people there professing with their mouth, Hosanna, save us. Most of them didn't mean it. Most of them were just caught up in the excitement. Most of them were just part of the crowd. Most of them were were excited to be there. They were hoping that maybe Jesus could do something for them, maybe provide something for them, but they weren't actually followers of his. They were just fans. No, and and it's interesting. Scholars think that one of the, the key reasons Jesus might have been weeping in this moment is remember what happens like five days from this event? the cross this is the weekend before jesus was crucified and so it's very possible that some of the same people in this crowd who are saying hosanna hosanna would be in a different crowd on friday and that crowd wasn't crying out save us hosanna that crowd was crying out crucify him kill him Torture him. Murder him. See, Jesus is weeping because he recognized that there are a lot of fans, but there were only a few followers in this crowd. You know, the difference between a fan and a follower. We talk about this at the well around here at H2O. You know, fans are finicky, right? Fans get excited when the team is doing great, but, but they, you know, just jump ship as soon as something bad happens. Fans are, they'll go to the games as long as the weather's good and the tickets are cheap. But, you know, as soon as the team starts doing a little bit bad, you know, they just find something better to do. They're, they're fans, you know. They're on the bandwagon. But followers, like, they're committed. They're part of the family. They're on board no matter what. Jesus looks at this crowd, and there are a ton of fans, but very few followers who are truly committed to him. So I think one of the questions we have to ask, if we're going to be honest about this text here today, is to look inward at our own hearts and our own life and say, "Are, are we a fan or are we a follower of Jesus? I loved hearing Jaden's story because I think that it, that it really painted a picture of that. Are you a fan or are you a follower here today? You might even ask the question, well, how could I know? You know, I, I want to be a follower, but sometimes I feel like a fan. Well, here's some questions to maybe help you wrestle with that. Do you worship Jesus in the good times and the bad? Or only when life's going the way that you think it should be going? Do you worship Jesus No matter what your circumstances, or do you worship him only when you think God is doing and playing out your life the way that you think it should? Do you worship Jesus because of the benefits that you get, or because of how it makes you feel? Or do you worship Jesus because of who he truly is? The one true king of this earth and of this world. And does your whole life, your whole life, when people are watching and when people aren't, does your whole life reflect a heart of worship for him or do you just worship him when other people are watching you? See, here's the question that we all have to wrestle with as we read this text together today. And it's a heavy question, but it's a question we have to ask. Is your worship, is your relationship of Jesus one of convenience or one of commitment? That's a key question because we live in a, in a country, we live in a culture, we live in a world where sometimes it's almost convenient to worship Jesus. But Jesus isn't impressed by that. He wants us to be committed to him. See, sometimes we, we wear the name Christian and then we pick and choose what we want to follow and what we want to do. As if kind of the, the teachings of Jesus are like this one big buffet, right? And, and it's like, oh, that looks pretty good. Yeah, I'll try that on for size. Ah, that seems a little bit harder. I'm not. I'm, I'm going to, you know, kind of leave that here. Maybe somebody else will run with that one. You know, oh, God, you know, I, I, I really love you, but I can't give you, like, my whole life to you. God, I really love you, but I I, I couldn't give, like, everything I have to you. My finances, my career, my family. Oh, man. Well, I want to hold on to those, but but I want to follow you when when it feels convenient to me. See, Jesus isn't interested in fans. He wants followers. Is Jesus just one of many, or is he your one and only? See, the crowd wanted to make Jesus just one of many, somebody to kind of jump on the bandwagon with, and then they move on to somebody else the next year or the next year, but Jesus wept at that idea because it falls short of what he requires for us. In Luke chapter 9, verse 23, Jesus says, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. That's a heavy calling. But we're committed to honestly looking at the Bible together around here. And so it's the real calling that Jesus asks us to do. See, he never guarantees it's going to be easy to follow him. In fact, he says there will be trials, but what he does guarantee is that when we follow him, when we worship him, we're worshiping the one true king who actually deserves our worship, who leads to eternal life, who brings that real peace and that real hope that we're all looking for, but sometimes seems so hard to find. Jesus is worth following with our life. And that's what Palm Sunday is all about, putting him in his proper place and recognizing him as king. So let's pray together. And then we want to worship God knowing that he is our king.